white privilege is unfair to white people. Now wait, before you turn this off, I need you to listen for a minute. Let me rephrase the statement. White privilege is unfair to those white people that are ignorant to its benefits in their lives. We throw those two words at people like it's a stone. When we say it, there is vitriol and anger behind it. As a black man, I think I know what it is, and I feel like I see it every day, but I could never come up with a workable definition to explain it to my white counterparts until I heard Subarego's TED Talk. She defined white privilege as an invisible package of unearned benefits. It's invisible, so you can't see it. And you probably don't know when it's even active in your life. And it's unearned, so it's not like you worked for it or did anything to get it. It is the ability or opportunity to live in a system that is designed for your success. And for many Americans, it just never occurred to them that this system that works so well for them may not work that well for others. Here's one example that I can come up with. Just a few days ago, I saw an advertisement for a bag on Instagram. It was a men's satchel that was designed to fit discreetly on your side underneath your arm. It was made that way so that it could be concealed under a jacket or a sport coat. I laughed to myself and thought, that would get me shot, and I continued to scroll. Out of curiosity, I scrolled back up to read some of the comments. One comment said, and I quote, this is not for us. Black fist emoji. Hashtag, hands up, don't shoot. It had 10,825 likes. Another comment said, this right here will get a nigga shot. It had 6,003 likes. And another comment said, yeah, this looks about white. It had 11,063 likes. To some Americans, it's just a bag. To others, it's dangerous. So if you could see this advertisement and all you saw was a really nice bag, understand that that is a privilege that not everybody has. Welcome to The Edge. Let's get sharp. following is part two of the conversation I had with my friend, Chris Cofino. Enjoy. My own person, right? And so if I'm given this opportunity to love or hate, why would I not pick love? You know, it, it can be more difficult sometimes because some people, you know, some people are are, are hard to like, and it makes it challenging to love. And so everybody just goes for hate because it's the easiest thing to do. It's right there. It's the first poison you pick up from the cabinet and you're like, yep, I'm going to use this today. So why? <laughs> wow. So, wow. but yeah, even in, even in culinary school, there were, 
there was a mix of people. And, you know, it's interesting when I got to culinary school was when I had uh, met my first uh, met my first gay person. Right. I had never like known of anybody that was gay in high school. Um, and when I got to culinary school, <clears throat> you know, it it's part of the culture there, you know, all walks of life, all creeds and colors, all sexual orientations as well. And so that was really eye-opening for me because, you know, a lot of the LGBTQ community are being discriminated upon because they feel differently. Now, again, that's, you know, everybody has their own choices to make. They are free to make their own choices. We may agree with them. We may disagree with them. But if we can't have a conversation and we can't share love with each other, then there's no point. And it just becomes hate and it builds up and it gets nasty and it mucks up everything. And you just it just doesn't make it a world that you really want to be a part of, you know, and it sucks. Right. I agree. I agree. So, so in your opinion, racism does exist. You haven't experienced it. Um, and. You know, I think racism has a lot um, to do with mm -hmm. how you were raised. So it sounds like your parents, your grandparents did an incredible right. job of bringing you up, you know, <clears throat> because you weren't raised to treat anybody any different than the way you would treat yourself or the way you would treat your family. And I think mm -hmm. that is beautiful. Um, I think, uh, like I said, racism is, 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 is almost bred into you, not, well, that's the wrong word, not bred into you, but mm -hmm. definitely taught to you and raised in yeah. you as you grow up. So you had a phenomenal childhood. I wish everybody in the world grew up like you, <laughs> but um, um, evidently mm -hmm. that's not the case. So um, one of the things you said was that you went through a multicultural high school. That's awesome too. Um, and you got to experience and meet other people. So it, it was never in you to right. hate somebody. And that's also, so um, racism does exist according mm -hmm. to the textbook definition. Um, it is the essentially the foundation of this country. The whole civil war was fought because um, the Southern states wanted to maintain uh, right. their workforce, essentially, right. you know? Um, so that's what that's what it was about. They wanted to maintain their workforce. So it does exist. Um, and just because you haven't experienced it personally does not mean it doesn't exist. And um, a lot of people in this video, um, yes, they made it out of right. sticky situations. Yes, they are successful. Yes, they've achieved certain goals. But that is one of the many arguments that a lot of people use to say mm -hmm. that racism doesn't exist. Like you said, when you were pulled over, you were upset because you were going to get a ticket. You were upset because your mom was going to, mm -hmm. you know, punish you. I remember um, I used to drive a Mercedes Benz. This was probably uh, eight years ago now. So I had just got to Florida. Good mm -hmm. I was only here for a couple of years. It was an old Benz. It was a 94, but it was still a Mercedes E-Class. So I was driving on I-4 and I was I was getting off mm -hmm. at the Sand Lake exit and the the lights flashed, the cop pulled me over, and I'm sitting in the car and I didn't have much class, gas. I was getting off at Sand Lake 
because I know there's a right. gas station right off the exit. So I had like barely any gas. So mm-hmm. I turned the car off right. to kind of preserve gas. And the cop got out of his car and he they have the big right. lights on the front of the car. So he he shined the light on my car and he said, like he didn't even come over to my window. He just set it on his speaker, please step out of the car. And I, I was terrified. <laughs> so um, I get out of the car, I shut my driver's side door and I take both hands and mm-hmm. I just put them on the hood of the car and I'm waiting for him to come over. And he's like, um, he's like, why did you turn the car off? And I'm like, we're having this whole conversation it's like 50 feet in between us because he's on the radio like yelling at me. And I'm like, uh, uh, I'm like, he was like, why'd you turn the car off? I was like, I don't have much gas. I'm just trying to get to the gas station. And he was like, oh, well, I just wanted to tell you your taillight was out. And then he was like, you can go. And I got back in the car and he pulled off and I got back in the car and I left. So he wanted me to, so he just wanted me to get out of the car to see my taillight. And then that was it. So that was one experience mm-hmm. that I had a, with a police officer. And, uh, again, it was, <clears throat> it was terrifying. <laughs> um, another experience, I went to pick up my wife uh, from her job. Um, she works at a daycare and they were at mm-hmm. their annual Christmas party. So they carpooled from the daycare, went to the Christmas party and came back. So I pulled up to the daycare um, and it was at night. So of course it was closed, locked up. There was nobody right. back there. I just pulled my car in and I was waiting for them to arrive mm-hmm. so that I could take her home. And uh, I guess in that area, it's a, it was a nice area. It's right around. Uh, oh, okay. It's right around Disney. So um, apparently somebody called the cops. <laughs> There's a car parked over here. We don't know. So the cops came, and again, he got out of his car and shined the big light at me. <laughs> and he was like, please step out of the car. And I hopped out of the car. And this time I had my wallet in my hand for my identification. And I'm yelling, this is my wallet, just in case you need my ID. And I put it on top of the car. Right. And I kept my hands visible. And and um, and I was like, is everything okay? And he was like, I'm sorry, this is uh, private property. Can I ask why you're doing what you're doing here? I was like, my wife works here. She's getting dropped off here in a few minutes. And I mm-hmm. just wanted to, to wait for her. And so he was like, okay. In that particular situation, um, he did turn his light off, but he sat there. He waited until the ladies pulled up. And then once they got there, I right. guess to confirm my story, then it was like, have a nice night. And he left. So, um, those are two situations um, that I've experienced personally that were extremely scary to me. There's another, there's at least two more that I can pull up, but just for the sake of the podcast, maybe we'll <laughs> talk about it at a later date. But <clears throat> I've experienced, um, I, I mean, you could argue that maybe I was where I wasn't supposed to be. Somebody was uncomfortable, but to me, right. it was a scary experience. And again, uh, one of the things uh, Anthony Mackey said uh, was that we have to have a conversation with our young men that we are in shark infested waters. 
and he was talking about as a scuba diver in the shark infested waters everything is considered a shark and in that situation what he was saying is we are essentially the sharks in the shark infested waters these cops are trained to say well not to say but they're trained to to profile they're trained to at situations and mm-hmm. see the danger in it first, to see guilt first before they see innocence. And then they approach the situation, do what they have to do, and then they assess innocence. And this country is supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. But in their eyes, it seems that guilt mm-hmm. until you're proven innocent. That's, what, that's the conversation that my father had with me and my older brother. Whenever you're dealing with the police, be polite. Mm-hmm. Keep your hands visible. Uh, you know, give them right. whatever they ask for. You know what I mean? Uh, we we have uh, we're a part mm-hmm. of something that's called prepaid legal. So we have little cards that um, we can show to an officer that says, "I have an okay. attorney." You know, okay. <laughs> like we have that um, carry on us all the time. And I got. That was a, a different story where I got pulled over. I was actually on my way to church. I got pulled over. Um, I went through a, a yellow light and mm-hmm. the cop pulled me over and I gave him my ID and I gave him that card. And he was so mad that I gave him the card that he took almost an hour. He kept me there for an hour while he basically ran a background check on me and to see if, right, to see if, you, if you were legit. Right, yeah. He was like, why would you hand me that? You would only need right. a lawyer unless you were doing something wrong. And so he went back to his car and it was literally, it was about, it was about an hour, an hour and change that I had to sit there. Because I remember being, I was on my way to church and I remember missing the whole event because I was sitting on the side of the road. So, um, so, so here's a question I have for you. Real. <clears throat> um, I was, I was never... Um, you know, my father always taught me that when a, when an officer pulls you over, be respectful. Um, don't do anything crazy. Don't, you know, mm-hmm. don't just don't, don't be a jerk. Uh, it wasn't until I started working at a restaurant yeah. in New Jersey where a black friend of mine um, had explained to me a more effective way of easing the cop's mind so that, you know, when I get pulled over, you turn the car off, put the keys on the dash, put your wallet on the dash, put your phone on the dash, and keep both hands on the wheel. At first, I thought, why do I need to do that? I shouldn't have to feel any any threat to, like, appease the cop. He pulled me over. I was probably speeding, or I had a broken taillight. Not a big deal, right? And now you sharing your stories with me of... Two officers not even getting out of the car, not even showing you the respect as just a man to walk over from their car to your car and say, hey, did you know your taillights out? Oh, you know what, officer? I didn't know that. Thank you so much. I'll go get that taken care of. That whole situation, you didn't have to get out of the car in any way, shape or form, you know, and then for another police officer. I mean, I can understand maybe the second officer waiting on private property just because it's private property. But. Not because you're black, but just because the car on private property that maybe is suspicious, you know, um, but still having to get out of the car and, and 
like, hey, here's my wallet. I'm putting it on the car. You know, I, I, it, it, it shouldn't be like that. So my question is, because this country and the judicial system is you're innocent until proven guilty, why are we training our officers and those that are that are you know being paid to serve and protect us and and to serve the communities why are they being shown fear first before love when we need to be shown love before fear you know so that's that that's that's the big question that i'd love to ask and see you know like can people really answer that question like why do we train our cops like this you know why do we train them to to shoot first and, and ask for forgiveness later no you know, assess the situation. I get it. Some situations are more sticky than others. And some situations, you know, might warrant more extra care or caution. And that's understandable. But for a routine traffic stop, a broken taillight seems a little excessive. Right. So. Yeah. So, but like, like I said, those are those are just a few experiences. But when I see videos like the one you showed me, I kind of get kind of get upset because right. people are so dismissive. Um, Larry Elders, when he was quoting all those facts and figures, all right. that stuff could have been one hundred percent true. And he said that one thing was that there was only only four percent of uh, it was only four percent of a particular year of by cops. Black unarmed right. people that were killed by cops. Right. So he's like, it's not that big of a problem. The mm -hmm. bigger problem is black on black crime. He says something like 14,000 right. murders mm -hmm. in one year. 96%, Half of, it was black, 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 yeah. of that. Yeah, yeah. So so I, under, I understand that that's a problem too, but you can't go to somebody's family who just lost somebody so lost a family my lost mm -hmm. their son brother father husband and right but that's 100 percent to that person year, or that so. family so it's like it's dismissive to a whole lot of people to say that it doesn't exist it's dismissive to a whole lot of people to say you know uh that your particular situation or your your particular uh experience it's only this right. percentage of the whole. So, and it's like, have you ever told a woman to calm down or like? No, 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 no. no. That doesn't turn out well. So that's kind of. <laughs> Believe me, you know far too well that telling telling a woman to calm down is the last thing you want to do. Right. It is a bad idea. So I, right. that's kind of essentially what's happening is that people. Are there's there's a side of it mm -hmm. they're saying like this is a huge problem that needs to be dealt with and then there's a problem there's the other side of it that's saying the problem right. doesn't exist at all and you don't know what you're talking about so that's ultimately what it is and i guess basically all i can say is to people who have never experienced racism mm -hmm. is to reach out and have these conversations you know I, this absolutely going we could go for another <laughs> three hours probably so um, I do want to yeah. just say a, a couple things. Um, one of one of the, the things that Denzel Washington talked about mm -hmm. was to fix the family. He was like, they're not arresting seven-year-olds. Like, where's your father at? Where's your, 
where's your uh your 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 home training or or whatever he didn't right. say those words exactly but where was his father or where was his father you know so i think that's a huge huge deal i think i'm the way i am today because i had my dad right. my dad was there he's still married to my mother nice. they're coming up for 40 years of being married so a, a phenomenal role model in the house a strong mm -hmm. black intelligent <clears throat> man who taught me right from wrong who raised me according to the word who taught me um who taught me how to act yeah. he told me the truth about what the world is and how a lot of people view you um even though he said that even though you're smart, even though you're you're an awesome person, there's a lot of people right. that are going to judge you simply by looking at you. And you got to be ready for that. So that's the conversation that has to be had. Um, and I've had that conversation. And lots of my friends have had that conversation with their parents. And if they didn't have a father, they had that conversation yeah. with my father. So it's like, <laughs> it's real. And it's, it is the... Black American experience at this point, and and all the protest and rioting is basically saying like we are going to be heard, right. and you're not going to treat us like this anymore. So here's here's another question I have for you. Um, both of us being raised by uh, by very strong men, but men of God nonetheless. Uh, how do we, as believers, share the love of the Father with maybe those who? don't believe he exists, don't want to believe he exists, don't want to have anything to do with an unconditional love that literally will never end. Um, how, how do we as not only young men, but young godly men, how do we continue to extend our love to these people that, that might be out there thinking that, that looting and burning places down is the way to get their voice heard? Or maybe some people, um, didn't grow up with a father like Denzel was talking about, you know, he grew up with a father, maybe not that his, you know, his parents weren't together, but his father was present and his father was a gentle man. And, you know, he obviously seemed to come out of it pretty okay. Um, but he, his friend, you know, he said that his friends had been locked up because they didn't have a father. So how do we, how do we continue to share the love of our father with these people that might not have had an mm -hmm. earthly father, you know, how do we continue the dialogue with this in relation to solving and, and correcting and, and ultimately forgiving the sins of what racism is and what it has been in the past and what we would like to, you know, to get away from in the future. Well, I think step one is um, is is uh, mm -hmm. leading the way or setting the example. If that makes sense, we have to live our lives in a certain way that is beyond reproach. People can look at us as an example of what real fatherhood is. Uh, when we have children, we can um, show the world what it looks like to be a real man of God, to to have faith. To, to love God, to love our, our, our wives, to love other people unconditionally, you know? And the other thing about it is we have to yeah. be willing to have these conversations, you know? A lot of people, um, there's, there's known mm -hmm. unknowns and there's unknown unknowns. So there's things that we don't know, we don't know. And there are people who are 
ignorant. Right. They don't realize that they're ignorant to something. So we have to also be willing to teach, you know, um, uh, and that can sometimes be an uncomfortable situation when you have to let somebody know, hey, um, what you said was disrespectful. What you said was was ignorant. I know Kobe Bryant was talking about um, uh, having an uncom- uncomfortable mm. conversation with uh, another teammate because he had spinach in his teeth. Now, it could be comfortable to ignore <laughs> right. it and let him go on about his day. We could be the uncomfortable, have the uncomfortable few minutes and say, hey, you got something in your teeth, you need to get that. Right. I think they'll appreciate you more in the long run. Um, my, my brother likes to say, when people come to you, always give them the truth. Even if they don't receive it, even if they don't like you for it, even if they're upset with you for it, even if they end a friendship for it. Because eventually when they have to face that hard truth again, right. they're going to remember where they heard it from. So our responsibility, um, again, is to, number one, live the mm. life, show people what it looks like to teach and to share uncomfortable truths. What you cooking, buddy? Cooking? Who's cooking? Oh no no no! I'm just uh, I'm looking at a uh, I'm looking at my string of questions and and notes and comments and trying to see because uh, you I mean you and I both know we can talk for hours and hours and hours and time will fly and we'll never know what happened because we just we enjoy each other's company we enjoy each other's banter and candor and it's it's a lot of fun so you know for the sake of not making this a four hour podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I've just been into um, a couple episodes. That's I think funny. really just like the 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 one thing that really was kind of poignant to me was when Morgan Freeman says to stop talking about racism. I'm going to stop looking at you as a white man, and I'm going to ask you to stop looking at me as a black man. Right now, on paper and in word, that sounds so easy. I would never look at Morgan Freeman as a black man. Morgan Freeman is an incredible actor, like just you know, right. <clears throat> as well as many others um but in 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 wanting to again i know that this isn't going to be an overnight fix you know we're not going to solve racism in one podcast today um but to to help your listeners myself you know my family in the future if we don't talk about the issues right if we stay ignorant to the issues and say well racism doesn't exist i don't need to talk about it <clears throat> Then you see somebody of influence like Morgan Freeman uh-huh. saying racism, you know, I, I don't know what racism is. I'm going to stop looking at you like a white man. You're going to stop looking at me like, like a black man. For somebody like you <clears throat> hearing that, how do we continue to have the dialogue and solve the issue when such influential people are saying these kinds of things? That is a really good question. That's the uh, what I like to call the uh, <laughs> the nightmare on Elm Street solution. Um, if you uh, if you've ever seen <clears throat> Freddy Krueger, I think it was the second movie where like Freddy stopped showing up because they stopped talking about his existence. They erased memory. his his uh, uh, files on him. They erased his name and all this other stuff, and uh, he disappeared from people's dreams mm-hmm. because nobody essentially knew he existed. So um, I don't know if that's a, a solution. 
I mean, it worked in that instance, but I don't know right. if it'll work in, in this particular instance. Uh, because in, in American history, it took us almost, it took us from the, the, the beginning of the country to like the 1970s to mm -hmm. even be considered right. human beings for the most part. So there's a, there's a deeper lying issue than just, um, than just color. Um, if you want to go back in history, mm -hmm. um, you've got the Roman Empire, who basically conquerors and colonizers. And you have uh, the Greek uh, kingdom or the Greek regime who believed, like this was their philosophy, that um, leadership and rulers are supposed to be of a certain right. color. They're supposed to have light skin, pointed noses, light eyes, light hair. <laughs> that, that was God ordained. That's what they believed. So the Roman Empire comes in, wipes them out, and they keep their uh -huh. libraries. They keep their information. They keep their philosophies. The Roman Empire takes this Greek philosophy and essentially spreads it to the whole world. When the Roman Empire breaks apart into the countries of Europe, you have France, Belgium, Spain, Portugal, all of these other countries, they still think like Greeks and they move with Romans. So they start to conquer and they start to right. colonize because that's what they do. And they have that mentality that anything that doesn't look like us is meant to be right. a slave, is meant to be a servant, is here for our benefit and our betterment, and that's it. And so for hundreds of years, anybody that didn't have light eyes, light skin, you know, was treated as yeah. not a substandard human being, but as like not even human. So I'm not sure that just mm -hmm. not talking about it anymore is going to make it go away. Um, if it's that ingrained into somebody's heart, that ingrained into somebody's psyche, we're going to have to address it. And even if we, even if we uh, do get equality, and believe me, I believe we are way, way, way better today than we have ever been ever before in the past. So yes, it is getting better. But once we get to the place where we're all equal, I still think it should be taught because it is history. And if we Absolutely. Well, and I mean, you make a great point in looking in our history and seeing how um, other cultures and races and, and, and empires, you know, created their empires on what? The backs of slave labor. I mean, you can go all the way back to, you know, right. to Exodus. Genesis and Exodus. I mean, the Israelites were slaves to Egypt for so long, you know, and and we look back now and we go, wow, years. the pyramids are gorgeous. What a work of art. What a masterpiece in mathematics. Yeah, well, how did that all get there? You know, some some people argue it was aliens. Oh, no. Right. <laughs> but we know that in scripture, the Israelites were slaves to the Egyptians. Right. So God in his infinite wisdom has already shown us an example of what slavery can do and the, and, and, and the, the destructive nature of not having enough food, not having enough space to just live, you know, people being worked literally to death. So obviously we don't suffer with those things now. There's, mm -hmm. you know, or at least 
here in the comfort of you know florida and orlando and the comfort of disney we don't see quote unquote slavery but we become slaves to the things that we let control our lives money power and i think that you know i i love history i'm a big history buff i enjoy looking back at you know at different cultures and civilizations and how they created these immense cities and these empires and took over so much land. And, and you know, like you said, the Roman Empire conquered the, the vast majority of what today is Europe, right? They didn't do that with just people from Rome because the, the population of Rome was minuscule compared to the amount of land that they had controlled. How'd they do that? Well, they had to get slaves. And how did they get slaves? Well, they had to conquer a land and then they took those people and put them to work. So again, if we continue to just to, to ignore our history and then to currently ignore what's going on and saying that racism isn't real, I think is, is, is one, I think is ignorant and two is detrimental to the progress that we're trying to have. You and I having this, this open dialogue, being able to discuss the, the the issues that are going on right now is good, is healthy. Um, but these people that say, well, racism doesn't exist. Okay, well, you've already stopped the conversation before it's begun. So how do I not convince you otherwise, but how do I express and share love so that you understand that, yes, this is a real thing. I'm not asking you to solve it right now, but to be aware of it and to make, to make note that this is here. This is real. It's going the wind, right? We can't see it. We don't know what direction it's coming from. Mm -hmm. We can't touch it. We can't hold it. Can't do anything about it. Right. We can feel it and we know it's there. So it, right. it would be kind of a big wind tunnel if racism was being talked about on every news station and people are saying, well, it doesn't exist. Okay, well, let me give you examples. Right. <laughs> let me show you history. Let me this, that, and the other, you know? So it makes it makes having these kinds of conversations with other people that say um, that it doesn't exist difficult. And so being able to just have this, this dialogue, you know, it helps me understand better um, to look for the cues, to see what's going on in the world, to not be, you know, completely eyes wide open and see everything for everything that it is, but to be able to open my eyes to this topic and and help where I can and love where I can and and be the support for my friends, for my family, for people I don't even know, you know? If I can have this dialogue with you and this podcast gets to somebody that I will never meet, I'll never see, I'll never know, but yet still impactful for them. And they, and then they begin a dialogue with somebody and then that person begin, and it becomes this, this snowball effect of, okay, good. Now we're talking about this. Okay. Now let's formulate a plan. Let's talk about how we can solve this issue. Let's move forward with this issue. You know what I mean? So I think that, I think that you are one, I think you are a very, very just strong willed man. And I think that, the, the, the insight that you have on life of, of, as just being uh, as just being a black man, going through life day to day, you know, providing for you and your wife, making sure y'all got a roof over your head, clothes on your back, food in your stomach, and that God is the number one priority in your life. 
that inspires me to want to have this conversation with you, to want to be able to have, want to be able to love and continue that forward. So, you know, again, I can't thank you enough for like just even letting me come on your podcast and having the dialogue. But I know that it's opened up my eyes and, and hearing your 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 take on uh, on some of these topics is really is really good. It's it's I'm really loving this. I'm, I'm enjoying this. Uh, getting all hyped up now. I don't know. I might go work out today, but I don't know. <laughs> but do it, bro. <laughs> um, do it. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, I truly appreciate you, dude. Um, so uh, why don't you tell the people where they can find you? Um, um, I know your Instagram. and Yeah, well, uh, if your listeners do want to tag along better. to my life, uh, I'm on Facebook, Christopher Cofino. Um I'm on Instagram. Uh, let me just triple check and make sure that I have the right uh, <laughs> tag so that they go to the right place. Uh, yeah, my Instagram is uh, chef underscore Cofino, C-O-F-I-N-O. Uh, it's my last name. And uh, the my, my Instagram, will have a, it has a link to my Facebook and vice versa. Um, but those are the two primary places I hang out at. Um, I'm on the PlayStation Network. Uh, if your listeners are gamers and enjoy good late night conversations over Call of Duty and other such crazy games, um, I'm uh, I'm Smelly Man 44. So same tag as my anchor account. Um, uh, I'm always I'm always willing and open to to getting friend requests. I love having conversations with people. Um, I'm all about having fun. So if 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 your listeners want to come find me, come find me. I'll be here. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, man. Thank you so much for this conversation. I can't Absolutely, wait my friend. I look forward to, to, uh, I look forward you to again, reconnecting man. with you, man. You too, man. Yeah, man. All right, man. I'll yeah. talk to you soon. Awesome conversation. Deuces. See you later. Jane Elliott, an educator and lecturer, is also the keen mind behind the Blue Eyes, Brown Eyes experiment. At one of her lectures, she put forth this question to her audience. If you, as white citizens, would like to be treated the way black citizens are in this society, please stand. No one moved. She assumes that perhaps they did not understand the instructions and repeats her statement in simpler language. If you white folks would like to be treated as blacks are in this society, please stand. The room remained silent and still no one moved. She then made her point. No one's standing. That means you know what's happening. You know you don't want it for you. So why are we allowing it for others? I am a Christian and the Bible teaches that the entire law hangs on two principles. The first principle is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and strength. And the second principle is like the first, love your neighbor as yourself. 
you may ask, well, who's my neighbor then? When Jesus was asked this question, his response was the parable of the Good Samaritan. In the story, a Jewish traveler is robbed, beaten, and left for dead. One of his fellow Jews comes along, sees him, and keeps walking. Another Jewish traveler comes and sees the wounded man and again passes him by. Then finally, a Samaritan comes and aids the man in need. Jesus chose to make the, the Samaritan the hero in this lesson because Samaritans and Jews were at odds. They hated each other. But after hearing this story, his audience had to choose which character acted neighborly based off of their actions, not their cultural background. So according to this passage, your neighbor is not necessarily someone who shares an area code, a skin color, a religion, or even a background. The neighbor is the one who would take action on your behalf. So I ask you now, in the venerable words of Fred Rogers, please, won't you be my neighbor? Remember guys, you are not a mistake. You are a solution. I love you.